The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Shiny. Testing. One, two, three. Testing, testing. Can you speak in your normal voice, please? Testing. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, this is our first recording during the actual sheltering in place at home quarantine coronavirus situation. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry, I was just overcome by a yawn. <laughs> I'm going through it all of a sudden. Okay, I recovered. <laughs> I don't know why that yawn hit so hard. Okay, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> why don't we just start the show? I don't know what to say. Welcome to Generations Geek, a more or less family-friendly celebration of all that is geeky. I'm science fiction writer and editor Scott Pearson, and along with my daughter Ella... Hello. We are two generations of geek. This is episode 59, The Hunger Games, where we dive into the first film in the series. Now, on with the show. Alright, so we just watched The Hunger Games. For, the, for you, your first time. First time. Um, for and, me, who knows? And I haven't read the books either. Yeah. So what, um, did it surprise you? What did you expect? It surprised me a little bit. I expected to like it because just from previews and uh, things that I've heard people say about it, I assumed it would be an entertaining film. But I was surprised at how grim it was. Not, yeah. You know, it's like I knew the subject matter was grim, obviously, if you're forcing young kids to hunt each other to the death. But the previews, I think, focused a lot on the whimsical fashion of the city. Oh, yeah. The and capital. made it look like it would be more, you know, light in its approach to even this dark subject matter. Really? But I thought that's the way the previews made it look. Yeah, but like that's the way you were like... And interpreted the previews. Is what I'm, yeah, that's, that's how the previews came yeah. across to me. They kind of play. They kind of leaned far into the wacky fashions, um, but then when you watch the actual film, it stays very grim and often has a sort of pseudo documentary feel. And instead of coming across as funny, the fashions just accentuate the gulf between the poor people and the ridiculous wealthy and so the 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 tone surprised me in a in a good way in fact i have a follow-up question for sure. you yeah. on the fashion sense mm -hmm. the whimsical fashion mm -hmm. design were the fashions described outlandishly like that in the book or was that something that came to the film yeah people dress like crazy bright colors okay. almost mismatching crazy hair yeah. um crazy makeup crazy you kind of I thought that was done really well. Some of this in this movie that like crazy like alter like surgery stuff like that like just crazy stuff. And well in a, like in the opening scene where they pick the tribute is that the right term? Uh the the reaping? The, yeah, when they so in the reaping the names yeah. The contrast between <gasps> Effie the poor people and then the ridiculous woman Effie that's Making the the pulling the 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 the, uh, the tickets out of the bowl. Effie Trinket is also I she's supposed that to be was like really well done, amazing. And one thing I wanted to mention was the 
the use of color, not just in the capital to contrast the capital with the poor folk, but the saturation or or desaturation that was done in a lot of those early scenes where it's very kind of washed out. Yeah. And then it makes it and then it makes it that much more shocking when Effie Mm -hmm. Yeah. When she comes out and she's in her ridiculous capital design against these these people that almost you know, this this sort of concentration camp feel Mm -hmm. to it was uh really well done. Yeah, it's amazing. She's also she's supposed to be she's I think a little more extra than the other like citizens in the capital. Like I think her attitude makes it mm-hmm. even like worse and she's like but yeah, she that's Well, it's the contrast between yeah, her one, once once you're in the capital and you're surrounded by all the outlandish people, it's a different thing, but when it's just her against the crowd. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the questions I have just like relate to you watching the movie mm-hmm. never having read the books. But do you know the story of how Suzanne Collins came up with the idea? No, I don't really remember it clearly. Um, She was watching TV. She was flipping between channels on the TV, and she just kept... It was like like war footage in the Middle East, and then the next channel would be reality television. And she just kept... It was like Mm -hmm. every other... um, And then, yeah, that's her story of how she came up with the idea. Um, For me, part of what appeals to me about the Hunger Games and we talked about this a little bit before we watched the movie not recording Mm -hmm. um is that Suzanne Collins in my opinion kind of launched what's now cliche modern YA dystopian adventure whatever brunette yeah 16 year old punches things huge success of Hunger Games really established that subgenre in a big way and it um I think it's so easy to write it off because even me, like, I'll remember how good it was when I read it and how good it is every time I read it. Um, And then I start to, you know, years and years afterwards when it's like everyone, it's like Divergent, um, the Matched trilogy, like, it's just like everything is the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I go back and I watch it and I'm like, oh, wait, this one was actually, (laughs) (laughs) this is actually good. Um, So what... Was there something about it that, like, appealed to you? Like, what caught your attention? I mean, particularly in the times we live in, I think it's understandable that people are gravitating toward more dystopian things because Mm -hmm. people are feeling uh, pessimistic about the world. I mean, it's been years now since the Hunger Games, but I think that even back then, people were just starting to feel uncertain about the world you know we're we're deluged with bad news and like you and like she was seeing war all the time seeing fighting all war, the time terrible war and then, and then there's also the idea that i that if you get any if you get any sort of hope for people you often get that hope by when you see how people behave under the worst circumstances Mm -hmm. Uh, that that um and so when you put characters in a dystopian world and then you see them rise to the occasion when you see them refusing to give in to the to the worst instincts that that can come out of humans then there can be you know it's kind of ironic but you can get this great optimism out of very dark 
shows. You know, a lot of people who've complained about Star Trek Discovery complain about how dark it is. They say it's not optimistic, it's not hopeful. But when you see Burnham fall to the lowest depths of her life and then Mm -hmm. see her struggle to climb back toward the uh, ideals that she has, you know, that, that journey is hopeful. And you would not have that same level if everything was bright and shiny and happy. You have to have the character hit their low spot to see them struggle back to their high spot. And so what, um, what of that do you see in Katniss? First off, J-Law. Yes. Fine performance. And her, her character throughout is trying to remain true to herself in the face of these horrible circumstances. I mean, of course, you start right off with her uh, sacrificing herself to save her sister. And then as it continues, you see her struggling against the horrible circumstances, trying to remain true to herself. You see her have to, you, you see the struggle that she makes when she has to make compromises to herself to try to survive, but she always takes the, the, the smallest steps necessary, you know? So it's like she, she has to be a little pragmatic and, and she wants to survive, but she's going to give in the, the least amount possible. Mm-hmm. What I love about her character is that um, she just gets kind of thrown into this and of course you'll see you'll learn more about her and you'll see more of her like the way she grows over the um the course of the movies but um these things are just happening to her and she is most of the time this very like level-headed person and she sees things very black and white but her black and white being from district 12 is just like pretty much life and death yeah so she is all of a sudden in the games and she's struggling with like her her feelings about PETA, etc. But um <laughs> the most important thing to her always, even if she's not like thinking it consciously, is just like, oh, like I'm going to do what I need to do to survive. I'm gonna do what I need yeah. to do to keep my family and the people that I love. Yeah. yeah, she's very grounded and mm-hmm. centered uh, on on her family. And, and everything else is secondary. And Yeah, and so she's willing to make sacrifices to her own ideals w- when necessary, but, but always only just enough. She's always trying to maintain the, the trueness to herself. Um, but she, oh boy, one thing... When she says goodbye to her sister and mother, when they bring them in, yeah, that is such a great scene, and she is so great in it. And the whole thing where she talks to her mother and tells her mother that her mother has to be there, you know, it's so clear that that she has she has been carrying the weight in the family that the mother has, you know, they lost their father, and um. I'm sure that there's a lot more of this in the book, but you definitely yeah. get the sense that the mother uh, has been a little overwhelmed by the situation and that uh, Katniss has had to pick up the slack. Well, and they do a great job in that like there's the one... she's the mother. It's yeah. like Katniss is the mother. There's like a one second 
shot where Prim is in her nicer clothes for reaping day. Mm-hmm. And um, the mom turns to look at her and then right away Katniss is there going, look at you. You look yeah. so beautiful. And it's like that on its own is an amazing way to. Yeah. yeah One of the things that. I thought that that seemed pretty successful to me. There were a lot of things in here when that I would think to myself, I bet there was a lot more of that in the book. But when I would think that, lots of times when you think that when watching a, a film that's been adapted is you're looking at it as a weakness. You're, you're thinking, God, mm-hmm. this is really missing the boat here. I bet there was a lot more of that in the book. But I found that in this when I would have that thought, it was often because I was thinking, wow, that's a really nice condensed piece of shorthand that gets something across that I bet was a lot bigger in the book. And so, like, just those couple little bits with the mother spoke volumes to what was going on there with the characters in a in a very concise way. Well, and just, like, I'll just give you, like, a very quick background, because I don't think it comes into play in the next movies, is um, her mother was from... Her mother's family was more, like, wealthy. So her mom's, like, a doctor, essentially, who had married this um, coal miner, which is what most of the men of District 12 do. And then there was an explosion. Um, And then after that, she basically, like, very quickly, like, went, like, nonverbal, like, didn't leave her bed, like, didn't do anything. And so that was when Katniss was, like, 14. That's when she started hunting. Mm -hmm. That's when she met Gail. So it's, like... She had to be the mother and the father. Yeah, she had to do everything. Yep. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Rue for a second. Let's. <laughs> Fan favorite, for sure. Yeah, well, how could you not love the cute little girl that is, you know, knows that she's totally overwhelmed and she's just smart about how she reacts. And that's another thing where right away I think there must have been so much more of this in the book and yet I get such a sense of that character who really has, you know, a very little screen time. But from the moment, or particularly when she came up with the tracker jacker idea, mm-hmm. that was a, a great scene. Another quick backstory on Rue. Her district is like the like agriculture district. And so she like spends all day every day in trees like picking apples and stuff so that's how she knows that's yeah how she's so that's why she's so that, good climbing she... and like j- she like jumps between trees and oh, the other like side note all that time in the trees was triggering my fear of heights oh really it was making oh, me go when katniss is up yeah. yeah they keep climbing way up in those trees and i was just kind of shivering in my seat it's like oh boy that's they're getting high up katniss there. just like belts <laughs> herself in <laughs> but those were great scenes that was yeah. so smart you know, and then her death scene is done so well, and it's so sad. But and but that was one of the points in the movie then that I was so tense because Katniss spent so much time with her after she died, and it's you know very touching. But on the inside, I was just like yelling, you know, run, get out of there! <laughs> yeah, you were really no. I noticed um, the scenes where Katniss is like alone in those woods. You were like always looking. You were nervous every scene where she's, like, alone. Because, you know, usually she was very smart and very fast and very focused. And then, but occasionally there'd be these things that were very human moments, like after Rue dies, where she takes this time. And I was just thinking, you know, oh, my gosh, you're just a sitting duck through this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh, oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh, oh, my gosh. I was just thinking, run, get out of there. 
and and grab your arrow. Yeah. Because that was one thing that was bugging me was that sometimes Leaving she would leave arrows, arrows yeah. when mm -hmm. she, you know when she would have had. She can time. also she can, she knows how to make arrows. Yeah. I think I think in the books she does make arrows in the arena, but yeah, um, those nice steel arrows. Those are sweet arrows. Yeah. Did you like the drama of the creation of the games with the arena and the fire with the fireball and the, give me a tree right there and it falls? Yeah, I that that was yeah that was another layer of just showing how. I mean, it's bad enough that they're turning this human hunting into a game, but then when they, the way they mess with it, like to yeah. increase the ratings or whatever, uh, was even more um, to to they they push them together because Kat yeah. stays on the edge so because much. She was being smart and being mm -hmm. you know, and they were like, oh, that's too boring. We got to get things you know hopping here. Um, well, I, I was a little confused by it because the uber science fiction geek in me was kind of like, what is this level of technology they have that they can control random trees and create monster dogs out of nowhere? I found that a little distracting because part of me wanted to understand just how high their technology was. And it... And and the weird thing about that, of course, is that it makes the fact that they do these games that much more ridiculous. Because if they have a technology level that allows them to just pick any tree or start a fire or create I think dogs it's out of nothing. They, well, the arena, the thing with the trees is that it's like the idea is that almost everything in the arena is artificial to some extent. Yeah, but it's so huge that, yeah. that I didn't. And that might have been something that I just missed that I didn't properly process while watching the movie for the first time be, because it's such an outdoor field i i was just like thinking they're just out in nature i wasn't yeah. thinking that this is it's actually to, yeah. a prepared arena that even though it because then obviously later on you realize that there's like a, a some like a holographic dome or yeah, something it has a dome. Over it. no it's a dome because they have to yeah and so they're in there yeah you know yeah that was really well done and, and when they start really messing with because at first you get the sense that as horrible as the circumstances are that you're you're hoping that there's kind of a level playing field there. There's not really since the the age range is so ridiculous. <laughs> but then also the fact that they're gonna like start messing around in it. Yeah, it's not even and it's like it's not it's even so it's like unfair. a wildfire. Okay, there's a forest fire, yeah. but then it's not just a forest fire. It's like that wall that's pushing her and then the fireballs like mm -hmm. completely over the top. Yeah. The fireballs. Come on. Mm -hmm. You guys. But then, you, but then, but then at home you get to sit in it's, the comfort of your living room and watch, watch Katniss him. jump out of the way. Oh, and one thing I forgot to mention that I that I loved was the number of scenes where there was no score. That it's you a could very quiet movie. They were there were times when they would let a dramatic scene play out just with the actors, and there was no score. There wasn't a lot of extraneous stuff going on. It was just. You know, and and those were very effective scenes. Before we finish up, I do, you know, I've been saying about how much I liked it, and um, but I do have a couple of nitpicks. Yeah. In addition to whatever small nitpicks I've already mentioned, as sort of a counterpoint to me saying how much I liked the grim tone, mm -hmm. um, but then I also thought that, particularly in the in the beginning of the film, in the first act or so, they're sort of establishing this documentary tone, this kind of cinema verite with the mm -hmm. shaky camera. And there were times where I thought, you need to sh 
toned down the, the shaking mm-hmm. camera. It seemed like a lot on television, uh, you know, on, on a monitor at home. Yeah. I just, you know, if I was seeing that in a theater, I just think that would have been really that much more distracting. That's um, one thing I, no- I noticed on this viewing is I was like, oh, they're trying really hard to make this seem like a hard. documentary. They're really trying. Yeah. To, they're and, and, nudging you pretty hard. And it was... Except for just a you know a couple of times when I was I would have said okay now let's steady it. <laughs> for the most part, it was very effective at establishing that tone. Um, one of the things that I thought came up a little short was the concept of the sponsors because as they were getting ready before the games, there's a lot of talk from the coaches or whatever you call them about uh, your Hamish is their mentor yeah the mentor about how you got to be nice you got to get the sponsors and then there wasn't really a clear payoff it would have been nice if there was one scene that showed a sponsor like really outright saying mm-hmm. oh I love Katniss and I'm giving her this salve or whatever that would and have been a good addition of... because that's not even in the books yeah like a scene with a sponsor like really yeah. in the books the concept is just like oh these rich people pay a lot of money like not only for the fancy medicine but like then to send it to you in the yeah. they pay so much money and I, I would have really liked a scene where, where you see some of these ridiculous rich people mm-hmm. sitting around watching and just saying you know what I'm gonna give you know Rue uh, something something or I'm gonna mm-hmm. send that one you know psycho killer bob there you know Kato. <laughs> um, and then there was one weird blocking of a scene mm-hmm. when when she does the great thing where she blows up their supplies by cutting the uh yeah. the apple the yeah. bag of apples that was really great but then they all come running back and they're yelling at the poor boy that they left guarding the thing. And the way the scene was blocked, it felt like she was just standing out in an open field watching their reaction to this. And I was like, yeah, why aren't they almost... seeing her? <laughs> I thought that that yeah. could have been staged just a little bit better. But, of course, these are very picky yeah. things to, to, to mention. Um, but just, you know, I like to, even though they're very picky, I like to balance out... The pros with the cons, you know, to mention these little these little things. And beyond that, I just had a couple of questions for you that I found a little bit confusing, either because um, because maybe it was uh, expanded upon in the book. Mm-hmm. And one of those was, and I mentioned this earlier about the tech business. Yeah, you know, it, the, the, when it really hit me is when they conjured up the dogs out of nowhere, and I was just like, w- "How are they creating instantaneously creating dogs?" And so, was that better explained in the books that they have some sort of genetic DNA replicating cloning action, or the yeah, the dogs? So... because the dogs are physically real. It's not like they're holograms. Yeah, or they're physically they're, real. Yeah. So yeah, and the movie they do seem to because they come up from underneath the arena, they make it seem like, because he's like, oh, two more right there. And they're just like, boom. So yeah, it makes well, it seem and, very and, like. And it showed, and and one of the little workers, one of the tech geeks, just like. <laughs> one like, of the geniuses at the Apple store. Yeah. <laughs> like pulled up this little 3D hologram drawing and, and the guy was like, yeah, I love that. Let's do it. And then mm-hmm. boom, there they are. Like they just went straight from holographic prototype to physically, biologically real that kind of threw me. That last scene with the mutts is, uh, it's a lot longer in the book. And then it's also, um. So they have some sort of labs or whatever that are creating these. Yeah. Well, okay. it's like, like, that's what, like, the mocking jays are. Is they're like, 
a creation, not entirely, mm-hmm. um, but that's like there. I don't remember if they tell a story about the Mockingjays in the next oh. movie or not. There's a story. There's a whole thing. They're special. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in the book, it's very clear that like they had been planning for the Mutts to be the finale for a long time and they oh, had okay. created okay. them. So yeah, they don't come out of nowhere. So, yeah. So that's that's a you know a, a nitpick of the film, I guess. And then the other thing I was wondering... When there's the, and, and we, we go back to Rue, because Rue was so great in, in this little, the part that she played, the, the riot in District 11 that broke out yeah. after her death. And the way it was shot when Katniss finally is ready to leave Rue, and she like turns to the camera. She knows that she's being watched everywhere, and she gives the hand salute. Mm-hmm. And then that seems to be the way it played in the film. It seemed like the salute was what pushed the people in District Eleven over the top. And I didn't quite get that. Was there more significance to that hand salute than I understood, or were they, was it just a delayed reaction that they had? Were, were, do you think they would have rioted? if she hadn't done the salute, if they would have rioted just because of the death of Rue, or or what do you think about there, that I, If I'm remembering correctly, there were already some minor uprisings before that moment. Mm-hmm. So she had already kind of, Katniss had already kind of sparked something okay. with the volunteering to replace Prim, yeah. and then her district... With the th- it's like I don't remember the entire story. It's like just like a very old way of like you know like. But it seemed, and the more I think about it, the more I, I realize that it was a clear gesture of solidarity mm-hmm. from District Twelve to District Eleven, acknowledging Rue. I'm almost tearing up thinking about it because it was it's such a, a lot. great scene. It's a lot. And, I do. Um, they would have. Like yeah, they would, they would have read it without her acknowledging it. I think that that like Rue's yeah. death snapped yeah. something in District. But then, 11. but then also it did kind of put a button on it when she gave the salute when she took that moment to acknowledge yeah. directly at the well. And the Katniss, camera. I think Katniss with the wildflowers that was a yeah. clear act of rebellion. Um, and Katniss singing to her like. They told her in the books, hey, Mitch is like, even before, and he's like, don't you dare be friends with that girl. She's no, like, you can't, like, stay away from her because Mm -hmm. that's not going to help you at all. That was the last of my quick comments on the film. And I think you had some more things you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so before, so we're about to watch Catching Fire. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Before we do, I want to do like a, like a, like a check-in, like a vibe check. Um, (laughs) After the first, after the first movie, I want to do like a... Not like a trivia round, but like a trivia round. Just like a quick, like, <laughs> like I want to ask what your favorite district is, but I, you don't know any of the, like, what they do in any of the districts yeah, at I don't, all. Yeah, there's yet. not, in, in, the, in the course of a, a single film, you don't really get enough of a sense of those things. Yeah. If I had read the book, I'm, I might have had a more, a, a substantive answer to that, but. So, obviously, you're, you love Katniss. Love Rue. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite um, tribute from like a an opposing district besides Katniss Rue? I'm assuming it's not Peta. Um, which sorry, bud, but like it's fine. <laughs> um, Poor guy. I kind of liked. I don't remember his name, but the other guy from District 11. 
Because Fresh. the guy who came and, you know, Katniss was, was just about to get her slot throat, <laughs> her throat slit by what's-her-name from District What's-It-Number. Uh, Clove, I think, is from... And then all of a sudden he comes in and knocks her down and takes her out, and but then he gives Katniss a pass and says, just this once, 12, for Rue. Mm-hmm. That was a great scene. And, and talk about, you know, yeah, when they start off with a couple dozen or whatever, and of course a bunch of them get mowed down in the opening bit there, but... A little over half. I it's think. one of those things where... They're lucky if they get a scene or two to make an impression as yeah. an actor and a character. And, you know, what a great little scene for that guy. You know, that's like his big scene. And, and but he really, I mean, you can't help but love the guy that he acknowledges uh, what she did for Rue. It's also, um in the book, Katniss talks a lot about how, like, from the like the poor districts it's like mm-hmm. th- they have like this concept of like you said solidarity and stuff like that and she i just remember in the book her being like oh somebody from district one wouldn't have a concept of mm-hmm. him owing her somehow for yeah. doing everything she did for rue yeah and then everyone else you know so many of the other characters were the psycho rich characters that the careers yeah that uh were you know that that train <laughs> beforehand so they're ready and all that stuff because they have the time you know it's like well the yeah poor districts, districts like one and two yeah they just they just, go to school they're, they're surviving they don't have the time to you know put in this extra work but you know luckily they have someone like katniss ends up in there because she's the, the tools that she uses to survive in the real world uh transfer well to uh skills that come in handy in the hunger games yeah so. well and she um the the hunting is illegal like it's very like yeah. I, it's probably you know you're not supposed to go outside the fence you're not supposed to do whatever like it's everything's illegal so people don't normally have those skills going yeah. into the arena already i think some people from 12 do sometimes but i think it's very rare that people actually go outside the fence because they're like afraid yeah okay uh team peter team gail <laughs> <laughs> After one film... Gale doesn't get that much time in this movie. Yeah, he gets... And that's another one of those things where I I knew that, well, this is obviously something that's much richer in the books, but they did, you know, pack a lot of uh, innuendo into just a couple of looks from, from him, <laughs> you know, um, that... That you, you know, Liam you, Hunksworth. You really get the sense of the the triangle that's developing there, and what an awkward position that Katniss is put in, because she realizes that she has to play this angle of the romance for mm-hmm. the game that that will serve uh, both her and Peta's survival, even though she knows that you know she's really just you know taking Peta's heart in her hand. <laughs> Like a tiny baby bird. Yeah. Um, what did you think about the flashbacks but, where he throws her the bread? Oh, that was nice. That was Go nicely right. developed. You know, it's, it kind of went back to that a few times, and you got a little bit more each time. And um, and then, and then they, they did some nice, uh, you know, artistry there. They really desaturated those scenes, uh, those flashbacks, so it was much more gray scale. Yeah, and, that was... Uh, um... That was nicely done. In the books, Katniss is like, that's like the closest she and her family were ever, had ever been to like dying of starvation. Mm-hmm. Like they, they were so close and she was like digging through their garbage at the baker's and Peta burned those loaves of bread on purpose and like took a beating from his mom. Oh, that's a nice detail. 
Yeah. He burned them on purpose so he that burned he them. could. He dropped them on purpose so he could toss them there. Yeah, but you know, and and first he'd throw some to the hogs just to cover himself, I guess. Yeah, because she's like, go feed the pigs. And then yeah. he, yeah. Um, and then that scene where he talks about how he should have given it to her instead of throwing it out in the street. That was a nice thing too. Because the bakers are a little more well off too. Cause well, they and fancy but stuff. it's 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 another example mm-hmm. of the pragmatic choices that they're forced to make in their horrible circumstances. Mm-hmm. He felt like he couldn't just give it to her because, you know, for various reasons, even though he wanted to. So yeah, that was well done. Um, I want to go on record and say that when I read the books, I always pictured Gail as the guy from Victorious who plays Jade's boyfriend, just like very clear in my mind from the first moment. So I can't remember that character enough to make, have the, um, Too many years since watching. Uh, I won't that. say Team Peter, Team Gale, but I will say that I think it's clear that Josh Hutcherson is much more of a snack. Um, <laughs> that's what I have to say on the matter. Um, <laughs> well, it seems that it 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 definitely seems that there is something mutual going on between Katniss and Gale that's not there between Katniss and Peta. Yeah, she's much more, they're much so, more comfortable together. I think yeah. they're, they're much more natural. Yeah. Um, but, you so, have, but you have to have sympathy for Peta as well under his circumstances. Oh, no, they're both, so, I mean, yeah. it's all, it's amazing. Um, I kind of, before we decided to watch the movies and do an episode, I kind of spoiled the the, like, what the second movie is about for you. Um, but I want to know if you have any, like, predictions, whether that's long-term, like, if you want to go, like, long-term, Peter versus Gale, if, like, what's going to happen next movie, like, if you have any, like, what's your... No, I, I don't. I often, um, this is one of my quirks in mm-hmm. watching, um, film and television, is that I'm often, uh, able to just disconnect my yeah. brain in certain ways so I don't project forward which is weird because on the other hand as a writer there are times when I do like I can't like in the short term like in in a scene or in a line of dialogue I will often say oh this is what's going to happen next in my head and I'm often right just because there are certain tropes and dramatic things that are just I mean that's just the way stories are told um, but so in the short term, I might predict a line of dialogue, or strangely, <laughs> this is the most cinematically geeky thing that I do sometimes. Mm. I predict to myself when I would push in on a shot, when I would yeah. push in closer mm-hmm. on a on an actor, and I like to like catch that timing and mm-hmm. say to myself, okay, now they're going to push in, and then shh, they push in, but. So I do these little mini predictions in my head, like 10 seconds into the future. Yeah. (laughs) But I haven't thought any single thing about how I would project from this film into the next film. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I do the same thing. That's why every every week I go on Discoverage and Aaron is like, (laughs) oh, I knew this was going to happen because of this. And clearly this this is what's going to happen next week. And he's like, always right. And I'm like, geez, I don't, you must be, I don't know what you're eating over there, but I just must be... like iron deficient. (laughs) (laughs) Well, often when I, when I watch something for the first time, I try to get into a mode where I'm just watching it and enjoying it as it happens. And I, I try not to have 
the all the other gears running and and second guessing and predicting and, and trying to figure pieces out. I just want to just let it wash over me. And then if I go back and watch something again, then I'll think more critically about mm-hmm. it. But Okay, um so a couple things. I want to do quick, just um special mention. Uh Caesar Flickerman, mm-hmm. who is the host with the blue hair. Yes. Stand and, up teaching. And, and and the teeth. And the teeth. <laughs> um, the veneers. He gives a big, God, he's good. A big laugh with yeah. the... <gasps> when he turns, he yeah, always starts he turns, out for someone, and then he's he like... He knows, yeah, he's working the camera. Um, and then I want to do... Um, Great character. Favorite character overall, so far. Well, I would just have to Even say just Katniss. Even just a bit Katniss? I would have to say okay. Katniss. And then, um, do you have, was there... S- I guess second, I would maybe go with Hamish. <gasps> Hamish, oh, he's so good. Yeah. Um... Whiskey with breakfast. Um, and then, uh, nothing better. <laughs> but then the well, then the amount of menace that Donald Sutherland can <gasps> pack into just a couple lines of dialogue. He is scary. Oh. I have tea on President Snow that I don't think they get into in the movies. We're gonna wait. To, <laughs> okay. I'm gonna wait to unleash it. It's tr- uh, deeply horrifying. Now, uh, final was there a was there a line that stood out to you? Was there something that like bounced around in your head for longer than something else, or is still bouncing around in your head? Nothing is coming to mind. Um, Not even that is mahogany. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice line. That was a meme. Um, no, a line doesn't spring to mind. Mm-hmm. I one thing I did like, and this actually comes down to the predictive thing when she's getting her big debut in front of the the. The crowd, yeah. The, she goes on when she's interviewed by Caesar for the first time. When she, no, no. I oh. mean, um, yeah. See, I said big, big debut and that was misleading. Um, when she's going in front of the small group of the rich people and, and the. Um, oh, there, when and, they. Um... And she goes out there and she muffs her first arrow shot. Mm-hmm. And then they, they just laugh dismissively and turn her, their backs on her. It's like you knew you knew immediately that that next shot or that there was going to be a shot. I guess it was the the third shot, not the second shot. But you knew that there was going to be a shot that was going to go right past them, dangerously past them. And, you know, and so then when there's the first angle where you really notice the apple in the pig's mouth, then you're just like, okay, I'm waiting for her to hit that apple out of that pig's mouth. And then that's what she does. And it's that was a very enjoyable scene and then of course that's where she got that uh, when she got the rank of 11 thank you for your consideration (laughs) oh yeah and that was uh yeah so that was a very very uh satisfying bit of business it's just like spock in star trek 2009 when what now spock when he refuses to go to the Vulcan Academy because they insulted his mother. Oh, yeah. And he's like, thank you. What does he say? Thank you something. What does he call him? It's not admirals. He's like, thank you, admiral, for your consideration. Live long and prosper. <laughs> BC Boys. Okay. Let's watch Catching Fire. Okay. <laughs> that is all the time we have for this episode. Tune in next time for more geeky fun. Until then, check out our website at generationsgeek.com for blog posts and streaming any of our episodes. And consider supporting us on Ko-Fi or Patreon, where we are slowly 
very, very, very slowly uploading exclusive content. We were born on chronicriff.com, but you can now follow us directly on your favorite podcasting app like SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review for us wherever you can. Tell your friends, your family, socially distant strangers. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and even Facebook. Thanks for listening, and come Come back back next next time. time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny.